HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This piece has been brought to you by Bonnie Plants, bonnieplants.com. I'm Laura Stanley, host of Inside School Food. You are listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome, and thank you for tuning in to the Heritage Radio Network. You, of course, are listening to the Farm Report. I am your host, Erin Fairbanks. Um, Back from my winter sabbatical, big thanks to Holly Cedarholm, who filled in uh, running the Farm Report in my absence. And I am really thrilled to be here in studio today with a very special guest, um, continuing um, a long line in the story of the Brooklyn Grange. Uh, Anna, I'm like Jack. Totally made me paranoid about saying your name incorrectly because we have Nastasia from Cooking Issues, and that, so all morning long I've been like Anastasia, Anastasia, Anastasia. In my head, I was like telling David I was in the shower this morning, like Anastasia, Anastasia. <laughs> um, uh, but Anastasia Koplakis, um from the Brooklyn Grange, vice president and co-founder, in studio to talk about her brand new book. The Farm on the Roof, and um, really excited, and thanks for coming in. Thank you so much for having me. Well, like, started out in a little bit of a wonky note, but we're old friends. Yeah. Friends can do that, get paranoid, I, I and, uh, you know, fumble a bit. I am so impressed by this book. Thank Great you job. so much. That's really appreciated. It was like, I, um, you know, I... We have had um, you on the show before, we've had Ben on the show, we've had Gwen on the show, like, all of the kind of core... Brooklyn Grange team. We've followed, obviously, your work and supported where we could um, since the inception on the farm. And so I really felt like I kind of knew the Brooklyn Grange story. And it was so, like, gripping to read through things and, like, the, the kind of, like, drama in it. And it must feel, it must have been really interesting for you writing the book to kind of put yourself back in those, like, early days. Like, how did you get there? Yeah, it was a lot of pouring through old emails. And incredibly, yesterday was six years to the date, at least that I uploaded the photos of our first 
uh, day on our flagship farm roof in Long Island City. The Did you get like a Facebook post? <laughs> uh, no, we, we logged into Amazon Cloud Drive and it was like six years ago today and it was a bare roof. Yeah. Uh, but really, it all started before that right here, which is why it's so cool to be back and kind of just perfectly apropos. So for folks who aren't familiar, uh, you know, Brooklyn Grange is... Uh, a, a couple of rooftop farms spanning 2.5 acres here in New York City. Uh, last year, you guys produced 50,000 uh, pounds of organic produce. You manage over 30 beehives. You work with a bunch of other organizations. Um, and the kind of genesis for the farm, as you mentioned, started here at Roberta. So why don't you give folks who maybe aren't as familiar with the story the kind of like elevator pitch on, on those early days? Yeah, it was a it was a great time. You know, Roberta's had just opened. <clears throat> it seemed like this this sort of revolution was fomenting in this weird uh, place in you know this neighborhood that was a, a real mix of industry and artistry. And um, these these punk kids came along and opened this restaurant, and then this amazing radio station started being built. Aww. And I remember putting the green paint on this place, and <laughs> I still have some green paint on a pair of pants. Really? Uh, yeah. Actually, it's, it's Heritage Radio Green. Oh, send me a picture. I, I will. <laughs> I will. And then, um, you know, Chris and Brandon and the gang started talking about putting uh, gardens on this roof. And, you know, I was I was working in an office at the time, and I think I was a little bit bored, a little bit hungry, and um, mostly I was following them around trying to write an article about them. So I was asking them all these questions like, well, where are you going to get the soil? How are you going to get it up there? And they had no answers. And I think that was really what, what gripped me uh, at the time was that these guys were going to do this with, with no plan. Right. It wasn't like they were like, oh, we've been studying and thinking about this for years. When, and you had been working for the Batali Bastianich group at the time. So you were definitely like nested in kind of one of the powerhouse New York um, and now, you know, national uh, restaurant groups where I'm guessing things ran a little bit differently. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, I'll tell you a little bit differently, but not entirely. Joe is a New York guy. He, you know, he might run restaurants and wineries around the world, but at at, the, at his heart, he's kind of a scrappy New Yorker. And, you know, he, he doesn't, he didn't get where he was by, by squandering resources. He was a very prudent guy. And uh, what I'm trying to say is he should have had three of me. He had one of me. So <laughs> as his assistant, I did everything from, you know, buy his, his kids birthday presents and keep a clean shirt around for him to light legal and real estate work that, you know, I had no training and I wrote uh, a, a TV show treatment for him in one day. Um, so really, you know, I'd learned there how to get can, are we allowed to curse on yeah. heritage? I, yes. I learned how to get shit done. Yeah. Uh, oh, I thought you were going to like really curse. Oh, no. No, just, just <laughs> shit. Just shit. <laughs> yeah. And, and to just kind of like go go forward and you're a New Yorker yourself and had kind right. of come into the food space like uh, kind of on a, a whim, really. Yeah. I, I followed my appetite here. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, I'm a good eater. But yeah, so you know, I, when I met these guys, I, you know, I, I'd never seen anyone operate quite like they did, but I did have a little bit of the confidence to, to be scrappy and to dive in. And uh, when we dove into this project, it was, it was really exciting. It was the first time I think I'd ever sort of executed something so physical, so real. Mm-hmm. 
of course, then we actually built it and we realized none of us knew how to grow anything. <laughs> <laughs> I think like uh, you're so you're talking about the growing space here at Roberta. Yeah, at that's the time. right. So this was like pre Ben Flanner, who is the like farmer in the Brooklyn Grange. Yeah, that's right. So Ben was busy actually running Eagle Street Rooftop Farm with Annie Novak in Greenpoint, Brooklyn. Uh, for those of you who are not super familiar on a name basis with the uh, Rooftop Farms of New York, Eagle Street is a 6,000-square-foot rooftop farm on the Broadway Stages building in Greenpoint, Brooklyn, started by Ben Flanner and Annie Novak in 2009. And, you know, we saw what he was doing there. We shot him an email. I think it was, like, June. I love this story in the book. I had no idea that you guys just were like, uh, hey, uh, we have some questions. Yeah, and I think he only responded because he was trying to snag Roberta's as an account. Right. Right, because Ben is not great on email. No. <laughs> uh, dirty little secret is that Ben is terrible about email. Uh, he's gotten way better in six years of running a business, but he's especially like summer solstice time period of the you know it's like the busiest time of year plants are growing at their fastest and i think he got back to me the same day so it really and truly was kismet the other thing that happened was i ran into an old college buddy gwen chance who was living in the neighborhood and actually making pizza all the way across town in like park slope so she was riding her bike across town and 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 making pizza when you know she was living around the corner from this place and she had a really green thumb, which I knew from having swung by her apartment and seen her windowsill garden. So I managed to rope her into coming by to take a look at what we'd done here, which um, you know, I'm sure that for, for those avid listeners, you know that this radio station has a, two raised beds under a, a hoop house right on top of it, and then several more container uh, gardens in the backyard that are, are kind of beautifully movable uh and and a really fun place to to grow if you know what you're doing right uh which gwen really did so so chris and brandon immediately saw an opportunity hired her as a pizzaiola and then later transitioned her into their full-time farmer for the roberta's gardens see i and i feel like we're kind of taking you guys through a little bit of this background because i feel like in 2016 um rooftop farming is like not a term you have to do so much explaining about anymore. People kind of get it. They know the basics. Um, they understand that's a thing that exists. But um, back when you guys were um, nesting out the idea of the Grange, that it wasn't a con- it was, there was no like proof of concept. It wasn't like you're like, oh yes, we just like went and we like pulled up the research on rooftop farms from across the country and around the world, and people were like, yeah, this is how you do it, X Y Z, and probably like my. My favorite um, chapter in the book was really talking about, um, it was chapter three, Return on Ideals, um, looking at the fundraising component of launching the farm and um, just all the different ways that you guys were scraping together the initial funds to um, pay for the build out after you had kind of found a space to have the farm. And I wonder if you can talk a little bit about um, some of those stories uh, from the from the early days and the fundraising and kind of like lessons learned. Yeah, it was a really interesting time period. Um, you know, Ben has a background in uh, to some degree in finance. He he, he worked for E Trade uh, before we started the farm, so he was a bit more fluent than the rest of us. But really, we were all sort of 
none of us had any real idea of of what people's interest would be in this project. And, and some people really were interested in the numbers. We did get a lot of feedback that we needed more numbers. We needed more solid projections. Um, we needed to build out that part of our business plan. So we did. And then we'd sit down with other people and we'd try to dig into the numbers and they would just flip through those pages uh, because what they were interested in was really the concept. They wanted, they really wanted to be a part of this change. Uh, they believed in the, the idea that cities could maybe not feed themselves, but at least um, really dramatically change uh, fundamentally in the way that they are built, the way that they function, the way that they uh, interact with uh, the larger ecosystem. And I think that's such an important thing is how can we create these cities that are a functioning part of the ecosystem instead of just these sort of concrete uh, pits in the middle of it. So, uh, you know, it was a really, it was, <clears throat> it was, there was one investor pitch here in particular, our architect, Jerry Calderi, who's still a very, very close friend and advisor of the farm. And he just was not interested in those numbers. Of course, he looked at them, but what he wanted to talk to us about is like, how can we get these on every building in New York City? And and he's actually been an advocate for urban agriculture for a long time. Uh, you know, he's been working on this stuff for 20 years. So he saw an opportunity to really further something that was near and dear to his heart. And it was a basically, you know, our fundraising efforts was was really just an exercise in reading people and figuring out, all right, who's in this for what reasons and how can we get them hooked? Yeah. And how do I separate kind of why I'm doing this project and why this person might want to kind of engage in it? And I think the chapter really operates to me in a very interesting way as like this kind of microcosm peek into the world of uh, alternative and unconventional funding streams for a small-scale food-based startup. And I think it's the thing that we're much more familiar with here in 2016. You know, I don't think you could bump into someone on the street who hadn't, you know, if they haven't funded a Kickstarter campaign, they know what Kickstarter is. Um, they Just like the kind of culture around um, alternative finance methods and the the kind of general understanding of that. It's such a different landscape. And I loved you guys, you know, initially through a number of kind of like funky parties and events. <laughs> and for like what I know, because you describe in the book is the sums of money, $3,500, $1,000, you know, $2,500 felt like a lot of money at the time. But I, I sit here now having a little bit more experience, like running a business. I'm like, man, that's just like so much work for like, it's so much work. It was so much work for, you know, what we would make at, at a really good Saturday market, you know, and it, it, it it's just crazy to think back on it. But at the time, the the sums of money were only half of it. A big part of it was that feeling that people were buying in and the confidence that that gave us. Um, I talk about this in the book, but the Kickstarter campaign, yeah, you know, you, you, like you said, now it's a it's a household name, Kickstarter crowdfunding. People know what these are, but at the time, really nobody knew what Kickstarter was. So we were not only selling the idea of the farmer, we were also selling the idea of this Kickstarter campaign. And when people were 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 pledging. I mean, we had folks, international folks, folks from different continents who we were like, how did these people even find us? You know, and that was a really exciting moment for us because it it really it was it was a it was a tough time in the process of getting started. Um, you know, we'd lost our initial site. We were having some trouble raising the funds, uh, but having this support from around the world really showed us that we were 
doing the right thing, that we needed to stay the course, keep the faith. If if not, you know, for for this actual single project, then for the the greater uh, uh, goal, you know, for the larger idea. I think like maintaining energy as you're trying to start something new is such a big part of being successful and of getting that positive feedback loop. And there is something like, I felt like when we ran our Kickstarter for heritage radio to launch our new website, every time a pledge came in $5, $50 didn't matter. I was like, wow, like I had that like Sally Fields moment where I'm like, you like us, you believe in us. And it it was super it was super energizing and, and you guys did it. You know, you pulled together the the round of funds, you built the farm, um, and then really shortly after, and I think too, I wasn't really I know you guys had opened the second space in the Navy Yard, but I wasn't as like an outsider really thinking about what it meant to launch a whole separate facility and do a separate round of fundraising in the midst of launching, you know, year like what, 1.5 of your initial business. And that second space went really differently um, because the funding was super, super different. That's right. Yeah, we're really fortunate to live in New York City, which is a city that is taking a really proactive approach to a lot of infrastructure problems, particularly stormwater management. Now, people don't talk about this because it's pretty gross, but New York City has a combined sewer system like many older cities. What that means is that we process our sewage, human sewage, you know, toilets flushing, faucets running, showers being taken uh, in a pipe that runs right next to the pipe that processes our rainfall, uh, you know, all the rain that, that, that enters the drains of New York City when there's precipitation or snow melt or what have you. When it rains very heavily, in order for that rain to not back up and flood the streets, the city has to merge the two systems and discharge some of that untreated stormwater overflow directly into our local waterways. This is the part that nobody talks about, especially when you're at the beach on a beautiful sunny Saturday and it poured (laughs) rain all Friday. You're basically swimming in a river of shit. Um, It's it's really gross and that's simplifying it quite a bit. I I apologize, DEP. I I assure you I usually take more care with this explanation, but uh, it's a problem that, you know, is it's real, um, it's serious, and it's one that many older cities share. And New York City has taken a really smart approach to this. Instead of trying to upgrade the sewage treatment plants, which would take far more money than we have, uh, and far more time and disruption to the city's, uh, you know, daily life, they're trying to invest that that their resources in green infrastructure, things like trees planted along the sidewalk or green roofs, which slow the rate that rainfall or snowmelt passes through. And, and gives the city time to catch up before that precipitation enters the the sewage treatment system. And I think that's a thing we're going to be hearing more and more about. Obviously, like water in cities has been a huge topic this year, looking at what's happening across California with the drought, what's happening out in Flint, Michigan, the way that uh, cities are dealing with this really basic human right. And I think for me, that's one of the things that's always been most compelling about supporting urban agriculture I, I personally feel like it's great that we can produce and grow food and like sell it. And that that's really nice. But more, I, I think that urban farms and roof, rooftop farms in particular are this great kind of tool for all these 
different impacts on city life and for teaching and for being a community center. And, and you guys, you know, after the initial um, farm was up and running, had really taken that vision and, and done some pretty cool things, which you guys are going to have to hang tight for the break. And um, we'll hear a little bit more of in the second half of the show. You, of course, are listening to the Farmer Talk, the, the Farm Report. We are talking rooftop farming. Hang tight. We will be right back. just your garden it's the way you live and there's so much to know but you have help bonnie plants now with bonnie's app homegrown you can learn about veggie and herb varieties track and record your garden with photos and notes share on facebook and twitter and so much more how'd you ever grow without it get homegrown with bonnie plants for iphone and android the more you know the better you can grow with bonnie on Tuesday, May 17th, please join Snacky Tunes for the 9th Annual Barbecue Blowout. Our inaugural chefs are Kings County Imperial with Beats and Rhythms by Domino Records. Tickets are $10 in advance at bbqblowoutmay2016.eventbrite.com. Tickets include a plate of food and a complimentary Brooklyn brewery. We're happy to announce returning partners of Nikki Digital and Heritage Radio Network. We hope to see you there. All right, we are back. We are in studio talking um, the brand new book, The Farm on the Rooftop by Anastasia Kolplatkis. Did I do it? I did it right? I've learned so much in this short episode. Um, so, guys, get this book. It is a wonderful kind of primer, not only on how to launch a business, but also how to really launch a, a movement. You guys... Um, are not only growing growing food, 50,000 pounds last year of organic produce, but you have launched a, an event space and an education center. And, and tell us a little bit about um, where those kind of components of the business came in. Was it a need to diversify revenue streams? Was it an opportunity to work with people you really liked? Was it part of the vision from the beginning? Um, you know, how did you decide what direction to take things in? Yeah, a lot of that was very much organic because the truth is those first two years, and you're actually the first person who's ever pointed out how quickly we expanded. It, it was a lot to take on so early in the business. And at the time, you know, Gwen was still working here. She had a brand new baby. I was bartending nights. So we were really scrambling and Ben was working so much. I mean, you could tell just by looking at him. I'm sure you remember <laughs> that he hadn't slept and uh, you know, Gwen and I would force him to take a day off. Um, but, and I think that's, I think this is a really important part here because I feel like people go on the website and they see the beautiful pictures and people doing yoga on the roof or they see the gorgeous book and the photos and they're like, Oh yeah, these guys are just like, you know, fancy New Yorkers. But it was like such a scrap, you know, like everyone was doing like 7 million things and at once. And a lot of stuff that like, actually, frankly, no one really knew how to do. 
Yeah, that's there was no roadmap. So we were really uh, failing a lot and, <laughs> and learning from that, picking ourselves back up and moving on. And uh, that's one thing I really tried to do with the book is be very transparent about what those failures were so that other folks don't have to go through them. Yeah, skip that part. <laughs> yeah, you guys should. But, you know, you will fail whenever you start something up. Uh, it's it's just the nature of the beast. So, you know, we were doing a lot of failing and a lot of scrambling, uh, but we were very fortunate to, you know, be this sort of w- weird, shiny new thing. So a lot of folks were, were coming through and a lot of really interesting folks and a lot of people, you know, who were working on really cool things themselves. Um, one of the first people we met was Maria, who runs uh, the Refugee Immigrant Fund Asylum Help Center. And she said, you know, I've got these these asylum seekers, these refugees who I'm looking to find some sort of vocational training for. Um, I've got a grant stipend, you know, a grant to stipend them. And I just want to find somewhere where they can learn some job skills, improve their English, and have a community again. Because a lot of these folks who come through the Refugee Immigrant Fund, sorry about that, RIF, uh, as we love to call it, uh, you know, they, they might not, they, they, a lot of them have moved to, to this country without community. They've left their families behind. So Maria and, you know, we, we created this partnership and we really didn't expect for it to flourish the way it did. It's not a huge program. Um, it's only a few participants each season, but we've really made some very, very close friends and, uh, as we call them, farmily. Um, actually, Rodrigue, who's on our team now, uh, is came through the Refugee Immigrant Fund and is just an incredible part of our team. I, I can't imagine the farm without him. Uh, you know, so... These partnerships were, I think, in part sort of something that we always knew we would we would seek out, uh, but a lot of them did come to us, especially in those early days. And and the, a community sort of just formed itself. You know, there were folks who started hanging around and never left. And uh, one of those folks is our chief financial officer, Melissa Kazoyan. She's amazing. She started out just helping out around the farm, and then we very quickly realized, oh, you really are very good at numbers and really organized and really savvy and smart. Um, our director of events, same story, Michelle Kaufman, she started hanging around the farm, went back to college for her senior year, and then showed up one day and said, I graduated. What are you guys up to? Yeah, I think that's a thing. I feel like people ask me a lot about, oh, I really want to get involved in the food movement. I want to do something. What do I do? I'm like, just show up, man. Just show up and start doing something there's a certain amount of just like put yourself in uh, a position to be stimulated to be the person who's there because i know from experience like when you're a small scale organization you don't have like you might have like a dream list of like jobs and things that you want but like you don't have a pool of money all the time but like things come up things come up on the fly and if you're nimble and flexible and you turn around and like there's someone right there who can help you with that problem today you're like you're hired this yeah, is it that's here we go right you're the person who gets to do this job because why because you've just been like here picking herbs for the last like four months and we like you and let's just see how it goes that's, um that's exactly right I want to share um, a little bit of a clip with you guys. Um, Anastasia did a, a series with us on the Heritage Radio Network 
um, back in 2013. And oh, no. um, I just want to give you a little bit of a, a taste. You know, not only it, did she kind of launch uh, a really revolutionary kind of business here in New York, but she is also a really natural uh, teacher and storyteller. And this is a clip from one of my favorite segments that she did on leaks. So uh, David's going to cue that up for us. Today's featured ingredient is the leek. From a grower's perspective, leeks don't make much sense. Depending on who you ask, they're either scallions for suckers with too much time on their hands or a poor man's onion. Unlike their allium cousin, the onion, they don't form a bulb beneath the earth, but rather grow concentric and uninterrupted vertically progressive leaves, like a scallion. But leeks take twice as long as scallions to grow, and to achieve that tender white base, you've got to mound soil and hills around each plant. And yet, in spite of being kind of a pain to cultivate, leeks have been celebrated since ancient times, when the Emperor Nero consumed them in outlandish quantities, convinced that they would improve his singing voice. <laughs> like leeks as a singing tool. And then, you know, you go on in these pieces to give a little bit more history and then share a recipe. And um, they're, I don't know, we're like super fun. And like education is something that's continued to be a big part of what you guys do at the farm. Yeah, I really believe that in 2016, any good farmer is also a good teacher. I, I, I can't, I can't overstate that. We're, we're going to lose a lot of knowledge in this world as farmers age out, and there is a little bit of a gap. We, everybody has heard about, oh, young people going into farming, young people going into farming, but it wasn't a natural progression. It wasn't grandparents who taught parents who taught young people. It was. There's a lot of young urbanites who are moving to the country to start farms, a lot of people who used to work in advertising and are taking that money and starting farms because, you know, there's that old adage, how do you make a small fortune in farming? You start with a large one. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, I really think that we have to share this knowledge, especially because we're all kind of learning on the fly now. We're, we're working under totally new conditions. You know, I mean, climate change is a very real thing. It's really affecting how farmers grow. It's changing uh, you know, soil and conditions in regions where people might have uh, had some semblance of, of an understanding of what farming looked like and, and then be thrown for a total loop, uh, you know, as, as springs become wetter and later and summers hotter and drier. And it's, uh, it's, it's just, it's, it, farming's never been easy, but I think it's only going to get harder so we really really have to help each other out especially with new fields like urban agriculture rooftop farming we're not reinventing the wheel it's essentially ground level farming but on a rooftop but it, it does have its own set of really unique challenges and so we really need to be on top of sharing what those are and transparent about the lessons we've learned yeah and i think that is exactly what you get out of the book is a real primer on like hey so you think you want to be a farmer you think you want to be a small business owner this is what it looks like. And, you know, we're just about out of time. But one of the things that um, also came up in the book that I hadn't really thought about was you did get some pushback from investors early on who were like, I would support this as a nonprofit. But you guys did not decide to go down that route. And I'm just wondering, was that like a big and obvious like decision? Or um, did you think about doing a nonprofit? Has that come up? And, and like, why? Why was that not the right choice for you? 
Yeah, you know, we really wanted to prove that urban agriculture could be practiced as a business. Um, we did later go on to help launch a nonprofit called City Growers, citygrowers.org. And that's C-I-T-Y, and they're in the midst of their spring campaign. Please donate. Uh, <laughs> but City Growers brings K-12 through youth up to our farms for educational visits, and to date has brought 22,000 kids. Uh, but, wow. But really, that's a service that we were providing to the community. And it didn't make sense to do it under the rubric of Brooklyn Grange, which is a commercial farming business. And that was so important to us because, you know, paying rent, having investors to answer to, it kind of pushes you as an organization to to do more and to to operate in different ways, not to do more, not to do more, but to 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 operate in different ways. And and it was a way that we hadn't really seen urban agriculture practiced. And we, we thought it was important in terms of scalability to, to be able to, uh, you know, take take private money uh, and scale up really quickly. And so that was why we chose to to start as a, a for-profit. Now, are there days that we wish we were a 501c3? Certainly April 14th was one of those days. <laughs> but uh, but no, I, you know, it's a really important, I think, uh, distinction to make. And, and it was part of our push to be scra- as scrappy and as... Um, as as determined and ambitious You're as like, we yeah, are. We can, this is a doable thing. It's a doable thing. So one of the conversations, you know, aside from um, the money and the like farming know-how in agriculture today is obviously access to land and um, thinking about your operation. You guys are never going to quote unquote probably own a rooftop. You're always going to be in a, a lease arrangement. So I'm wondering... Um, what's the state of that for the Brooklyn Grange right now, and, and what should we be looking forward to from you guys? Uh, we are actively pursuing expansion, um, always and forever. Uh, but I will be real with you that New York City is becoming a harder and harder place to farm, not just because it's harder and harder to find landlords who will give you a long enough lease to make sense of putting a farm on their roof. How long is that, by the way? I, we, we love a 20-year lease. Yeah. That's really, you know, less than 10 is a no-go. But 20 is, is really, that's where we, we like to start having the conversation. It's hard because, you know, landlords are thinking about knocking down their buildings and selling that lot for millions of dollars The cities. But more than the actual farming land, it's residential real estate that, that's going to present a huge obstacle for urban farming. It's hard enough to make a living wage as a farmer when you own your land and you're living on it. When you're, when you're paying folks who are paying New York City rent, who have families and are trying to live in this town, that's, that's really tough. It's a really, really difficult thing to do. We just got health insurance for the company uh, this past year. It's a huge, huge deal. And, uh, and you know, we are, we are growing up as a business. We're really working towards that. But I will say the cost of living in this city and uh, payroll, you know, they're, they're, they're really two huge, huge challenges to urban agriculture. Um, so if you are here in the New York City, Tri-State area, and you want to come by and visit, what's the best way to do that? Every Saturday, May 21st through October, we have an open house at our flagship farm uh, from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. You can find that information on our website, brooklyngrangefarm.com slash visit. You can also come <laughs> to an event. We have Monday night yoga at the Brooklyn Navy Yard Farm. We've got a million awesome events coming up to July 4th parties this year. Uh, so definitely check out our events page. Um, there's classes, there's workshops, 
Uh, you can dive in and get your hands dirty on Saturdays. If you're looking for a more substantial uh, volunteering arrangement, we can recommend some great nonprofit farms in the community who could really use a helping hand. But, uh, but yeah, reach out. I mean, get involved. Show up. Show up, right? Show up. You never know where it's going to take you. Well, the book, again, is The Farm on the Roof. Anastasia, thank you so much. It's always a pleasure to chat with you and always inspiring to hear about what's happening at the Grange. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you out there for listening. This has been another episode of The Farm Report. Uh, If you like what we do, please consider becoming a member. You can find out more by visiting us at www.heritageradionetwork.org. Click that beating heart and uh, throw us a couple of bucks. You can find me, Erin Fairbanks, uh, on Instagram or Twitter. I'm Erin underscore Fairbanks. And you can follow everything that Heritage Radio Network is doing Uh, We are on everything as heritage underscore radio. Thank you so much for listening. Stay tuned in. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.